This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So language co-evolved with the human brain throughout evolution of Homo sapiens. While language development develops automatically for most children without the need for explicit instruction, as we've been hearing today, there are many genetic as well as environmental factors that are known to affect language development. These include hearing loss, cognitive impairment, motor impairment, emotional deprivation, as well as brain damage and syndromes such as autism. However, there are children who appear to be developing completely normally without any of these problems who nonetheless fail to learn language at or near the expected age. These children are diagnosed with specific language impairment, known as SLI, of unknown origin. As they grow up, most of these children go on to have other verbal learning deficits, such as dyslexia. I've focused my research over the past 45 years on unraveling the mystery of SLI. I believe that understanding developmental language disorders, specifically SLI, may help us better understand the evolution of language itself. So let's start at the beginning. While it's true that language is innate and does not need to be explicitly taught, quality language exposure is critical for language development. Well before the child begins to talk, oral or spoken language development begins with an infant being exposed to the sensory and perceptual features of the complex acoustic waveform of the speech they hear all around them. Hi, baby. What a pretty baby you are. But of course, the infant doesn't know any words. So what is their language, what is their brain actually receiving? As we speak, we move our speech articulators from one position to another very rapidly in sequence to form sequences of sounds called phonemes, words, and sentences. The complex acoustic signal that's produced as we speak, as we see here, comprised of a combination of acoustic features like frequency from low to high, amplitude, which changes very quickly over time as we speak. As we just heard from Dr. Newport, infants who hear normally and have sufficient exposure to speech begin to detect frequently repeating patterns and learn the statistical probability of which acoustic patterns are likely to occur together or sequentially. Their brains begin to chunk the ongoing speech waveform into smaller repeating segments that acoustically represent phonemes and syllables in their language, such as ba or da. Phonemes such as ba and da, shown here as frequency over time, are the smallest acoustic segments of sounds that can change the meaning of a word in a language. For example, when the phoneme ba is changed to da, we hear bad instead of dad. Phonemes are the building blocks for syllables and words, so detecting, segmenting, discriminating, and neurally representing the phonemes of our native language is an essential prerequisite for all higher levels of oral language development. For humans, when we hear speech, beyond detecting or hearing the sound, which occurs at the level of the ear, in order to be processed as speech, the complex acoustic signal has to be transmitted up through the through the nervous system to reach the auditory cortex. When an infant has a peripheral hearing loss, is deaf, this acoustic processing is disrupted, leading to great difficulty developing oral language. 
The deaf can learn sign language by, by bypassing the auditory system. Now let's turn to the mystery of SLI, specific language impairments. We know these children have normal hearing, yet they're impaired in speech processing and language development. What was not known when I started my research was whether these children might be impaired on any higher level nonverbal auditory processing that are critical for speech perception. To investigate this question, I developed a hierarchical series of simple nonverbal auditory processing tasks to systematically test each level of sound processing along the auditory pathway from the ear to the brain. This auditory processing test, now known as the Talal repetition test, used only two complex tones, one higher in frequency than the other, and two buttons. First, only one tone is presented at a time, and children are trained to press the top button on a response panel for the high tone and the bottom button for the lower tone. Very simple task. Once this association is learned, two tones are presented in sequence. The two tones are separated by a gap of silence of various durations, known as an interstimulus interval. Children are trained to make two sequential button responses in the same order they perceive the sound. So, beep, 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 beep. Using this task, a highly replicable pattern of performance has been found with children with SLI compared to age and IQ match children with typical language development. Results show that children with SLI have no difficulty at all with any aspects when single tones are presented. This slide shows the percent correct performance when two tones are presented sequentially, separated by various duration gaps of silence, interstimulus intervals. Results show that there is no difference between children with impaired versus typical language development in their ability to discriminate, sequence, or retain two tones when they're presented with relatively long silent gaps, such as this one with about a 500 millisecond interstimulus interval. However, when the same two tones are presented just a little bit more quickly with shorter gaps, such as this one with 60 milliseconds, or this one even faster with only 10 milliseconds, the children with the language impairments absolutely fall apart and are basically a chance performance. What's interesting is that this is the time window in which we have to process the acoustics of phonemes and syllables. So let's look again at the acoustic waveforms of the syllable ba and da. Note that these syllables can only be differentiated based on the critical first 40 milliseconds highlighted here in yellow, where there is a very rapid frequency sweep from lower to higher for ba or higher to lower in frequency for da. Because of how quickly these formant transitions occur in speech and the critical role they play in ongoing speech perception, processing the ongoing speech waveform in real time is one of the fastest things the human brain has to do. My studies done using rapidly presented nonverbal tone sequences led me to hypothesize that children with SLI would have grave difficulty discriminating between speech sounds such as ba and da that have formant transitions that require processing in this tens of millisecond time range. When tested, the majority of children with SLI were indeed found to be selectively impaired in their ability to discriminate between these and many other speech contrasts that require rapid auditory processing in this time window, but not those that did not. 
This result suggested that rather than having a language-specific impairment, SLI children's language deficits may stem from more primary, non-linguistic rapid auditory processing problem. To further demonstrate that this speech processing difficulty was specifically related to the rate of change of the acoustic waveform within speech, rather than being phonemic per se, we use computer synthesis for the first time to extend in time the duration of these format transitions within the syllables ba and da from 40 milliseconds here to 80 milliseconds here, while maintaining their phonemic quality. Remarkably, while less than 20% of children with FSLI were able to discriminate between syllables with typical duration, 40 millisecond duration transitions, all 100% could discriminate these with the extended duration transitions. However, it could be argued, and indeed it was, that as speech processing is the fastest thing a child has to do on a regular basis, lack of practice in language itself could have affected SLI children's rapid auditory processing abilities rather than vice versa. In order to test this, Dr. April Benesich and I began a series of longitudinal studies to assess the auditory processing ability of infants well before they develop language. Our goal was to see if individual differences in the speed of auditory processing assessed in infancy would predict individual differences in language development and disorders many years later. We used the same two-tone sequences separated by the same brief interstimulus intervals that I used in my studies with school-aged children with SLI. But of course, infants can't press buttons, so we trained them to listen to a stream of two-tone sequences and then turn their head when they detected the sequence is different. Correct head turns are rewarded. So this is what they do. Once trained, it's possible to very reliably determine for each infant that infant's threshold for the shortest duration silent gap they require between two tones to continue to perform reliably. We call this a rapid auditory processing threshold. In addition to rapid auditory processing threshold, speech and language skills are assessed every six months. Because it's known that SLI can run in families, two groups of infants, one with a positive family history of language impairment and the other without family history, were included in these longitudinal studies. However, many children with developmental language impairments have no family history. This slide shows, along the bottom, the rapid auditory processing threshold for each infant in this study assessed at six months of age, going from the fastest to the slowest, and this is then plotted against the child's language comprehension abilities at the age of three years, going from the child that developed the best language to the poorest. Results show a very striking relationship, very high correlation between rapid auditory processing thresholds at six months and language comprehension percentiles at three years. The faster the auditory processing threshold at six months, the better language developed by the age of three. This is language comprehension. Following these children from infancy through seven years of age, we found that individual differences in rapid auditory processing predict early language development, which in turn predicted reading development. 
SLI, unfortunately, has been very difficult to remediate with typical speech therapy. At this point in our research, it looked like we had uncovered a potential root cause for these children's language problems. If this were indeed the case, then we hypothesized if we could provide these children with an intervention that would speed up their rapid auditory processing skills and or slow down the rate of change within the acoustic waveform of ongoing speech, this should lead to significant improvement in their speech perception, language, and subsequent reading skills. In collaboration with Dr. Michael Mersnick at University of California in San Francisco in his lab, we developed two novel intervention approaches disguised as computer games. Both used individually adaptive, neuroplasticity-based computerized training. The intervention is called Fast Forward. Our first approach was to adapt the Talal repetition test into a training method for the two-tone stimuli could be um, presented. For the two-tone stimuli, we developed two computerized sweep tones designed to mimic the acoustic changes within format transitions. In this computer game, children were trained to press the triangle for one sweep tone and the square for the other. Each child began with two relatively long-duration sweep tones presented sequentially with silent intervals that were also long enough for them to respond correctly 80% of the time. And that sounded like this. And they just had to go this one and then that one. They were trained. Successful trials reward and, follow, and followed by sequences with slightly shorter duration sweeps and silent gaps while errors were corrected. The goal was through intensive experience and practice to train children to process tone sequences at faster and faster rates until they could reach the rates that are important for processing speech. Recall that earlier, also, I had demonstrated that speech perception of individual syllables could be dramatically improved by extending the duration of the formant transitions within the syllables by and da. In our second approach in this novel intervention, we capitalized on this discovery by developing a novel computer algorithm in which the acoustics of full sentences could be modified such that the rate of change across the speech signal was prolonged and the fast transition elements were differentially amplitude enhanced. And it sounded like this. Touch the green circle. I'll play that one more time. Touch the green circle. This algorithm could then be applied to a very wide variety of linguistic training tests similar to those used clinically by speech-language pathologists. As children progressed in the training, the acoustic modification is reduced as linguistic performance improves until the goal is age-appropriate levels of language processing can be reached with normal, fast speech. And that would sound like this. Touch the green circle. In a control study, two groups of SLI children initially matched in age and degree of language impairment were provided the daily training for four weeks, either with or without the computer-enhanced speech and rapid auditory processing training. Results showed first that individual differences in rapid auditory processing thresholds could indeed be significantly improved with training, the red bars here. This was the first study with children to show that a basic psychophysical threshold could be significantly modified with neuroplasticity-based behavioral training. 
Results also showed that SLI children who received the training with the computer-enhanced speech and rapid auditory processing training, again the red bars, made significantly greater gains compared to matched SLI children who received exactly the same linguistic training but with natural speech, the blue bars. This was shown for standardized clinical tests of speech discrimination, language processing, and even grammatical comprehension just by changing these acoustics. Subsequent studies done using Fast for Word at Stanford and Harvard replicated these behavioral results with dyslexic children who also extended them by adding fMRI scans. fMRI scans done before fast-forward training showed that while doing a rhyming letter task, typical readers, shown here, show frontal and temporal parietal brain activation in the left hemisphere, while dyslexic children showed weak frontal and absolutely no temporal parietal activation. This is a pattern that's seen repeatedly in studies with dyslexics. After only eight weeks of fast-forward training, the dyslexic's brain activity was significantly increased so that it more closely resembled that of typical readers, both in the frontal and the temporal parietal area, regions known to be very important for both language and reading. Since its development, fast-forward training programs have been reliably implemented in thousands of real-world schools and clinics. To date, fast-forward programs have been used by more than 3 million children in 55 countries around the world. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.